Welcome to Off Trail Learning. This is Blake Bowles. This is episode 21, and we are talking about goal setting. Goal setting is something that I was introduced to when I started working at Deer Crossing Camp in the California High Sierras as a college student. And the camp director, Jim Wiltons, was very into goals and goal setting. And he was inspired when he was younger by a guy named John Goddard, who sat down at age 14 at his kitchen table in Los Angeles and wrote out this life list of goals, a lot of very adventurous um, Indiana Jones type stuff. And he stuck to it and worked on it all the all through his life. Um, and uh, goal setting is, is something that, that that I've preached also. It's it's uh, I hate to use the word religion, but it's it's kind of been a religion of mine for a while. But I, I'm also old enough to see the the nuances of goal setting. And and today I'm interviewing somebody who's far wiser and a slight bit older than I am, uh, Dev Carey. And he is going to be talking about the the perils of goal setting, the potential downsides of the traditional system of setting a goal and diligently following your, uh, you know, diligently working towards that goal um, in the way that we're all sort of taught to do it and the way that I have done it also. And so we get into an interesting conversation about when goal setting is good, when it's bad, and how to make it better. Also, the Off-Trail Learning website, offtraillearning.com, has launched. It's out there in the world. And if you haven't checked it out, please do. And if you know any young people ages 14 to 21, plus or minus a few years, uh, who you think might benefit from the site, people who are looking for options, who are exploring ways to be more self-directed, people who are frustrated or unengaged in their current educational system, whether they're high school students, college students, they're unschoolers, homeschoolers, alternative school students. Uh, it's supposed to be a master resource website for for uh, everyone in that that teenage through early young adult time period. And uh, I'm trying to make it better, too. So if you see anything that belongs on there, now is the time to to send me an email or you can hit the button that says suggest a resource. And I'd love to hear what I'm missing. So please go check it out. One other announcement is uh, one other project that I just launched, which is uh, maybe of more interest to people in their 20s and 30s, is called How to Live Nowhere. And it's about the nomadic lifestyle for those who are not interested in living in any one place year-round. This is how I've been living for the past 10 years, pretty much ever since finishing college, with a few slight exceptions and it's out there in the world now, too, launched at the same time as Off-Trail Learning. You can visit that online book at howtolivenowhere.com. I'm off to not back to school camp this weekend to go work with a bunch of unschooled teenagers in southern Oregon. Talk to you again soon. Here's Dev. My guest today is Dev Carey, a longtime friend, and I'm going to go right down the list here, Dev the founder and director of the High Desert Center Gap Year Program for ages 17 to 22. Uh, Dev holds a PhD in ecology. He has founded a charter school, an alternative charter school, in the western slope of Colorado where he lives. He lives off-grid in a house that he and his friends built for very little money on cooperatively owned land. Dev has been... uh, my partner on many unschool adventures programs. He's worked for some of the writing retreat programs. He's directed some of the writing retreats and we co-directed a program called the adventure semester in fall 2015. In addition to that, 
Dev recently gave a TEDx talk on what you can learn from doing dishes. And he is the author of an excellent, excellent book called Putting Choice First, a collection of -of out-of-the-box teaching stories, which is available for free on his website, devcarry.com. Dev, glad to be talking with you. Hello, hello. (laughs) All right, we're going to talk about goal setting and the the dangers of goal setting and maybe the unexpected benefits or uh, the the benefits that we didn't think were going to come to us through the process of setting and trying to follow goals. And so just a little bit of my own kind of background and baggage on this. I've long been a, a fan of goal setting and I've promoted it endlessly. I've promoted it in my books, in my teen programs. I always have teens try to write down 100 goals in a short period of time. And I, I keep a public list of goals on my own website. And so I, you're, I, you're talking to a, a, total, a total devotee here. There are friends uh, in the world who call Blake the goal setting machine. Are you are you being facetious? No. Is that true? Yes. <laughs> All right, taken. Uh, but you you have a different approach to goals, or you have a different experience with goals, and, and something that's not quite as straightforward and hunky dory as mine. Uh, what where did this experience come from, or when did you you start changing your mind, thinking differently about goals? Well, I got into working with kids outside of traditional education. And, you know, in traditional education, there's, there's goals for the kids, but they're rarely the, they're the, rarely the kids' goals or the teachers' goals or the state's goals or something. And so you get into working with independent, self-motivated learners, and naturally the place to begin is, so what do you want to learn? What do you, where, what do you want to do? And you start talking about goals. And that's where I started. And I had hundreds, thousands, probably conversations like that with kids or their parents. And, um, and I started to notice patterns. I started to notice what would happen when people set goals. And it rarely was, you know, there'd be this moment of, oh, I could do this. And they would look excited about it. But then... You watch what happens and it's like watching people with their New Year's resolutions. You know, people are excited about it, but how many people five months later are still being motivated by their New Year's resolutions? Not many. And often people feel a little bad about it. Sometimes they feel guilty about it. Sometimes they feel like a failure. Sometimes they just hope nobody notices. Um, And these kind of things come up and sometimes... They're real obstacles. They're, they're, they're tough on kids. They're tough on relationships. They start avoiding me as the teacher because they know they haven't succeeded at their goal and they're embarrassed to tell me so they don't call me back. And so I started just noticing these things and I started putting more and more attention on um, goals. And that was, you know, starting 20 years ago and I've been doing it ever since. So are you just saying that people are bad at, at goal setting or, or bad at follow through? And that's some, some sort of human nature. We, we like to set goals, but then we realize what we've done and we feel kind of ashamed about it. And we're not good at, at making them happen. That's part of it. That's part of it. The other thing, though, there's a couple other things. One is the word goal is pretty broad. It's, it's hard to really, you know, you can say my goal is someday to 
own a business and be rich, but it doesn't change what you're going to do tomorrow. That's more of like a general intent. And then you can have your specific, what am I going to do tomorrow goals? And so it's hard to talk about that whole spectrum. But as I generalize and talk about that, it's the second thing is people tend to make goals out of their current you know, generally people make goals because they want to change their life. There's something in their life that they, they want more of or less of. And so they make a goal to change it. But it's coming from, it's coming from their existing self, which only knows how to keep doing what they've been doing. And so far they haven't succeeded at that goal. Are you, you're saying that people don't really know what, what they don't know or, or they don't really know what they, what they actually need. We're just groping in the dark. Yeah. You, you make, you know, goal to be exciting is leads to some kind of change, some kind of, um, you're a different person after you've made your goal or, or you have more access to more things than you did before. Something's changed and we want that change. And yet, we don't, from our current place, it's very hard to know how to envision that change, to how to articulate it, how to line it up with your values, how to, um, how to even imagine a goal that's different than who you are now. That's tough for most people. And then it's, it's really tough because when you start changing, all these, all these blocks, all these obstacles come up. Um, that prevent that change, that work to be an obstacle to that change. And, and so it becomes very easy to either change your goal or to give up on the goal or to make the goal, modify it so you don't really have to do the hard thing. Um, it's just, and the more you do that, the, it becomes easy to do it. I think it becomes dangerous if you, you get flexible at changing your goal and not taking them seriously. Mm -hmm. It becomes easier and easier to do that. Yeah. And, and then the entire idea of a goal is essentially thrown out the window. If you can just change it in any moment, change your standards, change your, your assessment. Um, do you have a, any stories from your many years as an educator that kind of illustrate the, this process, like the difficulty of it? Or, and especially it sounds like there's so much idealism and enthusiasm at the beginning of this process that quickly degrades into kind of, you know, wide eyes and, and thinking, oh, what have I gotten myself into? Yeah. Um, so I worked individually with a number of kids creating learning plans and – I noticed that if we set long-term goals longer than a month or two or three, it was inevitably, it was, it was tough because things would go downhill. It was hard to keep momentum for that long. So I thought, okay, we need to have shorter and shorter iterations of this goal setting and we need to have a lot of feedback and practice. So I got, had a group of kids and we decided to create our entire curriculum around goal setting and get really good at setting goals and achieving them. And our idea was 
that every week we would get together and we would come up with the three most important things that we wanted to do in the next week. And we would help each other really get clear about what those three things were. And, you know, we'd write them down and we'd give each other speeches about why they were important and convince each other they're really the three most important things. Then we also had some, some process goals where we got to give goals about how we wanted to be as we were doing this. And, and then we would go off into our worlds for the week and work on these three goals that we declared were the most important things in our world. And then we would come back together the next week and check in and, you know, did you do it? Did you not do it? Why or why not? What happened? What did we learn from it? Okay, let's do the whole thing again. We did that for a whole year. And before you go on, what are some examples of some of these goals that the kids were setting? Well, they changed a lot over the year. Um, but they ranged from, I'm going to finish my social studies report to I'm going to help um, my mom do the dishes every single night to I'm going to exercise two hours a day to I'm, I'm going to learn do three chapters in my math book and, and make sure and until I get a hundred percent on the tests at the back of them. Okay. A, a pretty normal range of, yeah. of goals for kids who are in school or just kind of want to improve their lives in, right. in some straightforward ways. Okay, right. great. Go ahead. And so it was a small group of kids and they were pretty motivated. Um, they were, they were doing this by choice and they were intrigued by it and they want it. They like the idea of being in charge of their lives and they like the idea of being masters at putting first things first, you know, being, doing, building their life around what they consider to be most important. And we began and it went just like you would expect. We talked about it and everybody came up with their three goals I wouldn't, they, everybody always tried to make more than three goals. You know, they tried to fit more in there and I wouldn't let them. I said, no, we're just going to pick three because if, if you finish your three and you have extra time, you can do other stuff. But we don't want to dilute our intentions. Just the three most important things. Let's make sure we, we do that. And so they set their goals. We came back together the next week. How'd it go? Oh, um, pretty good. So do you accomplish them? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, can you show us that it's done? Well, I, I, still, I still have to do this one other thing, and I'm going to bring it tomorrow. There are a lot of answers like that. A lot of, I did it, but I kind of didn't do it. And we talked about that and went through a couple of weeks of that. And then it became apparent that all of us, and I did this too. I, I just like them, I set three goals and did it and came back and reported about it. 
And it became apparent that all of us, including me, had a tendency to lie to ourselves and to each other about whether we'd really done these goals. We, we didn't want to look bad. And so, and we saw failure at our goals. You know, we sat there in front of each other and said, this is the most important thing, these three things. And then to come back the next week and say, sometimes people even forgot what they were. <laughs> what, what was my goal again? What was the most important thing to me just seven days ago? Uh-huh. Um, sometimes, um, you know, there was, there was always, sometimes people would succeed, um, but often they didn't. Often there was, you know, something that came up. Their grandma came to visit. Somebody got sick. So, something went on. And it took us, we realized that we weren't going to learn anything if we just kept fudging the truth. We weren't going to get better at it. And so we talked about what really, we, we keep coming back to what really happened. It was that what you said your goal was. And probably took a month or two before everybody fessed up to our tendency to lie and admitted it and declared that they're willing to try to do it differently. Um, so that was, we, we still kept doing it for months after that. It was just a habit. It's a habit that I think all of us learn in the world. We learn it talking to our parents and to teachers, you know, you, you want to look good and you show it. But the problem is, is that um, you can't really work with that. It's, it doesn't give you the feedback that you need. So that was step one, was just learning to tell the truth. Um, step two was noticing that when we failed, it was, it was actually a cool learning opportunity. What did you do? And you didn't do your goal. What did you do instead? And we would have conversations where people would say, well, I, you know, I set this as my goal, but really it just wasn't that fun. And so I did this other thing. Um, or my grandma came and it just didn't seem right to, you know, she's sick and my social studies paper seemed less important than taking care of my grandma. So I took care of my grandma. And then we'd ask, well, why didn't you put taking care of your grandma on your top three goal list? They'd say, well, can I do that? It's supposed to be school. <laughs> That's not allowed. That's not allowed. Or they'd say, I didn't know my grandma was even going to be sick, so I didn't even think about it. And it became apparent that, you know, we weren't really good at recognizing what we really valued and putting it down on paper. We just put things down that seemed like they sounded kind of impressive and allowed us to look good in the conversation. And there's a whole bunch more steps and I'll, I'll stop here and, and let you ask questions about it. But we went on and we did this for nine months and by the end of it, um, we were more successful. It was clearly a lot of learning happened. We got better at it. It took, um, we got so that by the end when we failed, we saw it as, wow, this is a cool chance to learn something about myself. We found that it was really hard to make a goal that was challenging enough 
to kind of push us for a week, but not so challenging that it wasn't possible to do it in a week. It was hard to know our values. It was hard to know who we were, what we really valued. And it was really hard to declare that to each other, to say, this is more important. Really, honestly, this is more important to me than this. All that was tough. Sounds to me like you guys were running up against the challenge of, of just self-knowledge and self-awareness. And, and, it, and if you had sufficient self-knowledge and self-awareness, maybe the whole goal-setting process wouldn't have even been necessary in the first place because you already know what you need to be doing or, or what you like to be doing or what you value. Um, by the end of this nine months, were, was your group just, just kind of bullshitting each other less and, and bullshitting yourselves less like lying lying to each other and lying to yourselves less and setting more uh you know realistic goals instead of ones that that's you know we imagine the rest of the group wanted to hear definitely definitely there was people were a lot more vulnerable by the end they shared more honestly there was more exploration um a lot of experiment people realized that their ideas were, were part, of, part of figuring out what they valued, but that their actions also were great indications. And, and so it was important to watch their actions and try to bring their words closer to their real actions while bringing their actions closer to their words. And, and so and people would experiment. They would try things. They, they'd say, you know, I'm not really sure if this is my goal or not. I think I value this, but I'm scared of it. So I'm going to try this as my goal for the next week. I'm going to try um, hugging my mom and giving her compliments every time I see her and saying thank you. And I'm scared of that. And I kind of think, you know, maybe it's not I don't really know why I'm doing it, but I think it's really important to me and I'm just afraid I'm going to try it and see how it feels. And then they come back and report. And so there, it was, there was less, yes, here's my three lists, my top three list and more dialogue and exploration with each other as we tried to figure out what mattered to us. How much of this experiment do you think was a, an artifact of uh, the fact that these kids were in a school environment and you were you were their, their leader or teacher in, in some capacity. Uh, do you think that contributed to the, the kind of goals that they were, they were putting out there? And if it was a less formal situation, then, then maybe they would have, uh, they, they would have acted differently. I think it contributed a small bit, but not a lot. I think that, uh, um, yes, I was in the teacher role but I wasn't giving them any grades for this. I was clear. I'd been their friend for a long time. Most of these kids I'd been working with for years. We'd been friends outside of school. Um, and so we, we had a strong relationship and I, they trusted me. I also, yeah, that, that sounds pretty ideal. Yeah. That. And so in some ways it was, we had a lot more going for us than a lot of people would in a school setting. 
It was also a smaller group, so there was a lot of time to give people individual attention. I also saw these kids partway through the week often, and we would have time to do check-ins about it, so they got some support. The um, And I've noticed when I sit around with my friends or I meet people off the street and I have a conversation that's, what are your goals? Or when people ask me what my goals are, we tend to do it the same way. That There's a tendency to choose goals that sound impressive. There's a tendency to um, try to be the person we want to be rather than the person we really are when we state our goals. Um, isn't, isn't that the whole idealistic notion of a goal, though, to not just settle for who we are, who we who we perceive ourselves to be, but to, you know, to borrow a, a trite phrase to shoot for the, the moon and you'll at least you'll end up in the stars, you know, to, to, to have this desire to transcend uh, who we are and, and what we know and, and do something bigger. Isn't there something positive about that? Absolutely. I think if it, if you're willing to do the work, if you're willing to, because like you said, if you set a goal that's going to happen anyway without even making it a goal, you know, tomorrow I'm going to get up and eat breakfast. That's my goal. There's no point in doing it because I am going to get up and eat breakfast. I do it every day. If, but if I set a goal that says, um, you know, I want to become fluent in Spanish, which is a goal I've probably had for 30 years. <laughs> Que lastima, Dev. Que yes. lastima. And am I fluent in Spanish? No. I mean, my Spanish is adequate, but I've never, I've had this idea that it'd be really cool to be fluent in a language because I see other people that are fluent in a second language and I think they're cool and I want to be like them. Does my goal of becoming in fluent Spanish actually lead me to study Spanish the next day? No, it doesn't. Does it lead me to feel bad about myself for not studying Spanish? Yes, it does. Does it lead me to say, yeah, I have this goal of getting good in Spanish, but, you know, whatever, I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah, I get a lot better at that. And so I think if I were more careful about my language and say, I think it's really cool when people are fluent in other languages. And if it ever comes really easy to me and I have a chance to get paid a lot of money to go live in Spain, and <laughs> then I'd be really excited to also have the byproduct of getting fluent in Spanish. And to maybe take some classes while I'm there, if they're convenient and match my schedule, right. they don't cost too much, and I like the teacher, and they have good cookies. Exactly. That's... That's honest. But um, that doesn't sound that doesn't sound dignified. That doesn't sound ambitious. It sounds <laughs> lazy. It sounds uh kind of entitled. It it's yeah. It it doesn't have that that magic that we associate with goals. Right. And and yet it's the truth and it's the kind it's what I bring up. If somebody asks me what my goals are, it consistently is there on my learning plan. <laughs> Learn Spanish. 
um, along with learn 50 songs on the guitar and a few other things that I haven't done either. But they stay on that my list and they keep staying there. And it's really, it's an interesting question to ask, why is that? Why do I hold on to this thing, even though the truth is that in reality, I don't really like studying Spanish. And there are probably 40 things I choose to do before I choose to play guitar. And that don't make it to my goal list. And I think that, I think there's important there's important learning in there in those kind of questions and that they're not going to come to the surface unless you're held to the fire in your goal setting. Um, or you're really careful and just to say, that, you know, I think it's a cool idea, but it's not really my priority at the moment. Oh man, we have so much to talk about Dev. Uh, first of all, I, I feel like I've got a list of goals uh, on my website. Some of them feel more relevant uh, some of them feel a lot less relevant. They felt like when I posted them, they were they were definitely uh, something I, I felt I needed to do soon, and then I, I relaxed about it. But I feel like there is some benefit to having a sort of long-term vision for your own life mm-hmm. and having that not just in your head, but written down somewhere. And it can be private in a journal. It can be public on a website. Mm-hmm. It can be something that you uh, you tell to people and, and you ask them to you know, in the way that people try to stick to their New Year's resolutions, it's like, hey, like on February 1st, make make sure that I'm still going to the gym. Um, and so, yeah, that's where I, I come to the defense of, of goals is is the fact that a long-term vision is is something that is hard to achieve. But when you, when you do uh, kind of remind yourself consistently, if you have a goal list and you're like, man, I, I really do want to learn Spanish. And then it, it reminds you like, oh yeah, because there's that one person who I met who could just speak Spanish fluently. And we traveled to Guatemala together, could, got me into all these cool places that I would have never been able to go myself. And, and remembering that and, and re- being reminded of that over a long period of time, mm-hmm. I think is worthwhile. Um, I, I think that's where goals can, can be helpful. And I agree with you. If you don't put in the work to make that goal happen, then obviously it will never happen. But, but just having some sort of aspirations as opposed to, to none, um, I mean, you're, you're not going that far. I'm not, I'm not trying to put words into your mouth here. You're not saying don't have any long-term vision for your life, right? No, no. I'm, I agree with you that I think the process of imagining, imagining what could be is valuable in and of itself. Just that, just the imagining changes you. Just the imagining is a step in that direction. And it allows allows you to see different opportunities. I've done an exercise a number of times with young people where, where I ask them to give a speech to the rest of the group about who they're going to be in five years and how they're going to get there. And they give that speech. And the first time, often they put together something that they think sounds impressive and um, but then we all talk about it and I say, what really felt right and what didn't and what, you know, what stayed with you and what came up. And then the next week I have them give the speech again. And then the next week they give it again. And, um, and often, sometimes people will end up giving that speech 15, 20 times and it changes each time until it finally settles into something that really does feel right. And, 
And often those students have ended up doing that thing. You know, five years later, it's right on to what they anticipated. Mm-hmm. But, it, but, it, but it certainly wasn't that in the first rendition. And then we never set specific goals. We never said, okay, so what, how's that influence what you're going to do tomorrow? It just, all we were doing was creating a story that they told themselves about who they are in the world. And that was very powerful. That, that made all the difference. So but that's very different. Well, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. That, that is, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to see where you're coming from. And it sounds like your main message is that we are so good at self-deception and that we, we, are, we so quickly model uh, our, our images of ourselves, our visions of our future around all these other ideas that have been somehow implanted in us by parents, friends, society, TV, internet. And, and it takes a long time and it takes, it sounds like you went through a lot of iterations and in these different experiments and goal setting that you've done, there seems to be this theme of doing the same thing over and over again and watching, um, watching to see what changes. And it sounds like through that, that iteration, you get more truth and you get less self-deception. And, and, and that seems to be at, at the root of, of what can lead to actual effective, like long-term visioning for yourself. Is, is that your message? Yeah. That's a big part of it. I think it, it brings what we know now into the future. If we, if we can link who we are now with our idea of who we're going to, who we're becoming and tell it all in one story that is, that goes together, then it's more likely to happen. But that, it doesn't happen naturally and easily. And so for instance, I know you're a big fan of, the exercise of uh, write a hundred goals. And I've watched a lot of students do that too. And or young people and adults. And some people write a hundred goals and they get excited about it. They look at this list and they look at it and it's, it's like, you know, a hundred bottles of wine in their cellar or something. It's just, wow, these are things that someday I will, I will drink and enjoy. Other people look at that list and they feel overwhelmed. They feel paralyzed. They feel um, like they're coming up short. They, they say, wow, there's a hundred things and that's so far from where I am right now. I don't really even know how to do it. Maybe I'll just go eat a bunch of ice cream and drown myself in my sorrows. Hey, do not talk bad about eating a lot of ice cream. <laughs> Do not okay. talk bad about ice cream on this podcast. Thank you. All right. Um, and, and so, you know, I think at the crux is, uh, I forget the name of the guy. There's a, somebody I read from MIT that worked a lot about um, how change happens in, in people and organizations. And they talked about creative tension where there's, which is the, the difference between current reality and your imagined future. And uh, that's what a goal is, really, right? It's you, you've, your current self, and then you want something to be different in the, in the future. And so that creates a tension. And what do you do with it? What does that tension do for you? And I, 
does it create motivation, excitement, or does it create overwhelm, uh, stress, a desire to flee, a desire to compare yourself poorly to others? And that, what you do with it, what's going on in your mind in the face of that goal, I think is the, the really important learning that comes out of goal setting. And if you can be paying attention to that, and if you have help of, from people who are paying attention to that and are willing to help you really see yourself and be honest to your internal mind messages of what it does to the quality of your life when you have these goals, I think goal setting is, is, is like direct access to that part of, of who you are. And it's one of the most important parts of who we are. So for that reason, I'm a huge fan of goal setting. But only if you realize that the ultimate goal normally is not the goal itself, but this kind of self-awareness. Because if you don't have that realization... You just go in circles. You just do the same thing over and over. You try, you think, Oh, I know the answer is to become fluent in Spanish. And when that doesn't work, you know, well, okay, maybe the answer is to become fluent in French. And when that doesn't work, Oh, well, maybe it's karate. And you can just do that your whole life. Uh, yes, I, I agree. And, and I think that the way that goal setting uh, is introduced to most people is is as if it's some sort of of crank that you turn and i think the most common concept the most common kind of structure for goal setting is that that acronym smart right mm-hmm. uh, specific measurable achievable realistic and time bound and you know just i i listen to that i listen to myself rattling off those those uh, parameters. And I think, gosh, eating breakfast tomorrow morning could fit within that acronym. It's specific. It's measurable. It's achievable. It is definitely realistic and time bound. It'll happen tomorrow morning. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's a pretty weak set of, of guidelines to do the, the type of, of goal setting that, that you're talking about, the kind that actually leads to deep reflection and self-knowledge and, and, and awareness of your, your habits and your hangups and your strengths and your weaknesses. Right. The other the other danger of goal setting, and I've seen this often in, in the professional world, if you, if you create a business plan, for example, or you write a grant to get uh, funding for something, or if you're in school, you create a lesson plan or you create a goal list. That's all great, and it gets you out the door, and it makes something happen. But often in the end, what you wrote down as your goal was not the most important learning that happened. Often there was something that you, you never foresaw, something that you couldn't have even imagined when you wrote those goals that happened um, just as a, a consequence and a surprise. And that's, that's where you really changed. And you couldn't have made that as your goal because you couldn't have even imagined it before. But the downside is that when you go to evaluate your success at, at this or when the, you, know, you evaluate the success at your business plan or your learning plan or your, the, your grant, 
generally people, what you do is you go through the original plan and say, did you do that? Did you do that? Did you do that? And unless somebody is really um, attuned, often all the other stuff that happened won't even come up in the conversation. And, and so it, it limits the result. The act of goal setting at the beginning can limit the depth of the conversation at the end. Um, and I've seen that, you know, you, you sit in enough um, IEP meetings where you know, individualized education plans for special education folks, and you see the process of how it works. And that's more often than not, the, the goals that somebody wrote two years ago guide the conversation and it never goes beyond that. And I've, it's something that I've learned to be very cautious of. So what's the, the conversation that, that should be had? For example, you're, you're discussing an individualized education plan with a student and they wrote down their goals from two years ago and it's, it's two years later now. Um, if you were the, the educator in this situation, instead of just using the, the metric of, well, did you, did you do what you said you were going to do two years ago? What, where would you take the conversation instead? I would ask, ask the person themselves and the people around them to describe how are they different now than they were two years ago? Um, how do they see the world differently? What, what has opened up? What, what has opened up that wasn't open before? And start the conversation with who they are right now. And then, you know, only use those original goals as a, as a way to um, then come back and deepen the conversation and point at what, okay, you started out with this is your goal. Is it still your goal? Cool. It's not your goal anymore. That means some learning happened. Something changed. Tell me about that change. And to be, to frame it as an opportunity to discover something about yourself and to discover where you were successful rather than, you know, the, the common way is I'm looking for evidence of how you might have failed. And, you know, the job of the other people is to try to hide that from me. Yes. And I, and I imagine if you are in a, let's say, somebody working in the school system who is trying to facilitate individual learning plans for a lot of different students. If you don't mm -hmm. have a small number to work with, but you've got like 120 who are under your care, I imagine you kind of get forced into that situation just by lack of time that you, you don't have these, the opportunity to go into these long conversations about like, okay, you didn't do this goal. So let's talk about, are you happy with, with who you are and what you're doing right now? Uh, you know, to reflect upon this, you probably have to just use the metric that's that's most readily available to you. Um, have you seen that? Yeah, so often it's true. Often you get to those meetings, and the person facilitating the meeting often hasn't even seen, you know, the student in question for a long time. Um, the, and uh, and so they're just they're trying to go through and and make sure that all the boxes are checked and they they're getting done what they need to get done. And, but it's not, it, it's not a environment where you really feel like let's have an exploratory conversation. It's, it's more of a, 
um, a place where you go and you try not to make any mistakes and get checked and you get checked off. And, um, and the people that are working with the kid every day, um, they're have may or may not be having those kind of conversations, but they, they're rarely often, they're rarely even leading the meeting. They're sitting in the back, just working as an advocate for the young person and not saying very much sometimes. And it's done a lot. There's a lot of versions of it, but it's certainly rarely that kind of conversation. And I see why, I see why that is. So the system, um, has a lot of incentives for it to be the kind of conversation it is. So let's go back to that, uh, that story that you started with where you had the small group. It sounds like you had a really ideal situation where you knew the, the kids, they trusted you. You had a relationship outside of the classroom. It was a long-term thing. It was a small group thing. Um, and, and even in that situation, there was a lot of difficulty with the goal setting process. Uh, I'm wondering now that you are running your own gap year programs, like you're, you get to do whatever you want. You are not, you don't have to check any boxes from any school system. Um, How do you facilitate uh, young people? You're working with the roughly the the gap year age range. So roughly 17 to 22, give or take. Mm -hmm. Uh, How how do you, what what do you do in your programs? uh, If anything that has to do with goal setting and follow through. An awful lot. The on the on the month the month bigger scale, we we start out as a group and doing things that I'm more or less leading, or the staff is more or less leading. But already by week two, we're saying, okay, this first week we gave you a, a menu and a meal plan. Week number two, you get to take charge of meals and um, you get to dream about cooking anything you'd want to cook and here's a budget and um, make it happen. And there's a real life consequence. You know, if you mess up, if you don't do it, uh, that's our, that's dinner for the day. And if you spend more money than was in the budget, there's less for the next person. If you burn the beans, we all eat burnt beans. And so they're, they're getting a lot of feedback within a group setting right away. And then that keeps getting bumped up, you know, it, by the end people or by the middle of the gap year, people are designing a whole month of what they're going to do um, individually or in small groups. And uh, we're surrounding them with support, trying to help that be successful building upon the, the group learning experiences. And then we keep coming back together and, and processing that. So that happens again and again and again on a lot of different levels. By the end of the gap year, um, students are often running the whole program. They're deciding what, what we do, where we go, and they're making it happen. They're facilitating the meetings. They're doing the shopping. They're doing the finances. And all of those things have almost immediate feedback and accountability. That is a lot of responsibility to hand to that age group. It's, it's true. And I think that age group is, 
um, loves it and is more than capable of being successful at those things. And really it's practice, you know, and, and this is an opportunity to practice an environment that it feels new and challenging, but also where it's safe and you get guidance and you have constant, um, you know, you're surrounded by a bunch of people that feel like family and you know, love you, but who are also willing to let you know what you, what's working and what's not working in an honest way. That's that people that are seeing you fresh and are, are different than the family you grew up in. And, um, I would say by the end of the year, you see a huge noticeable growth in people's ability to articulate what's, what really is valuable to them and then to bring their, their life actions into a alignment that way. And it's not, it's not like, you know, by the end people have figured it out. I'm still trying to figure it out. It's an, it's an ongoing process, but just the ability to be a, to stand back and look at themselves and our, see what they're doing and articulate it and be self-aware and say, Oh, I see that I don't know this and I, this is where I normally stumble and this is where I want to, this is where I want to grow. And here's, I have some models of people who have inspired me in that arena and places where I can go for help. And so their ability to take charge of it and proactively make it happen rather than, you know, be a victim is, is noticeably different. So this all circles back to self-directed learning, to unschooling, to any sort of self-motivated action to to take control of your education or or entrepreneurship even to to lead your your own create your own venture to make your own dent in the world. It seems like the the ability to define your own goals to to make a a reasonable goal that that uh I guess I'm coming back to that SMART acronym, you know, to, to make a reasonable goal that's that's not too easy or not too hard, and then to follow through on it. But it, but if you if you have to change course in the middle of it, to not be devastated by that either, and and throw your hands up and and give up, um, it's it, that seems like I mean this is pretty much the secret sauce of self directed learning. You think so? I think. I think it's a secret sauce, but it doesn't work without some big chunks of meatballs or tofu or something. And, and what those big chunks are, 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 has to do with relationship and communication skills and the ability to stay in a conversation long enough to to learn these things and to stay in a, the kind of, to be willing to be in the kind of conversation and in relationship with people who are willing, able and willing to give you um, real feedback and to be willing to ask for it and take it and learn from it without those you know, so many of the programs that you and I lead, you see these kids, they, they just seem to be thriving for the month and everything looks wonderful. And then they go home and often, often 
it's followed by depression. You know, there's all of a sudden they're alone and they've got all these goals they set for themselves and, oh my gosh, how do I do it? And, oh, I thought I'd figured it out and was all inspired and, and was motivated. And now here I am, my old self doing the same old things again. And, and often people get depressed about that. And, and especially if, if they're isolated, if the, those kind of conversations don't continue either with their, with their parents or with some friends. And so, so my observation is that people that are successful at learning about goals and getting good at their practice also have, it comes on top of the skills to stay in relationship and have those kind of conversations. Yeah, I've definitely observed that in my time working with groups of young people. And, and I agree. It's, it is, it, it seems like as soon as you leave that, that warm community, but not also, not just a warm community in the sense of supportive, but a community uh, where people are, are holding up mirrors to you and, and calling you out when you, when you do burn the beans, uh, then yeah, that, that can be really difficult to return to when you, you don't have high quality relationships. Um, and I, you mentioned earlier the value in, in being around a group of people who, who love and support you, but also are not your family. And this is something that I've, I've seen some value in, in, in any sort of travel program or camp setting because parents have a, a, a fundamental conflict of interests when they step into the role of being this, this supporting person for, for goals, for example, because they, you know, the parent and, and child relationship is going to be the, the longest relationship of their life. And they don't want to mess it up. They, you know, they have this, this, you are a, the father of a newborn and, and also a, a teenage daughter. And so maybe you are more qualified to comment on this than me, but it, it seems like uh, you need a non-parental person, uh, an adult, a mentor, a, a peer community to give the really biting critical feedback that is sometimes necessary, maybe often necessary for, uh, for the, the kind of self-knowledge and self-reflection that, that seems to be at the base of goal setting and goal follow through uh, to even take place. And, and if a parent gives that kind of really critical feedback, it can potentially damage the, the long-term relationship or it just might not be well-received in the first place, as I'm sure the parent of any teenager knows. True. It is a lot easier for somebody on the outside to do it sometimes for all those reasons and more. Um, I think it's hard for kids to believe the positive feedback they get from parents as well. Um, that, you know, you're like, Oh, they've got to say that they're my mom. Um, but it's not really true. And so when you hear somebody strangers seeing you excel in a certain area or or seeing special traits in you it's a lot a lot easier to believe and i think that's just as important as the as the the constructive pointing out the things that don't work kind of feedback mm-hmm. and and the last thing is is that the other thing that makes it really tough is that normally you learn those skills with you learned how you are within the context of your family, which normally means that your parents have the same tendencies, which makes it a loaded issue to even talk about. Um, Because normally 
the way that you are is re in reaction to the parent, you know, the way the young person is in reaction to them and vice versa. And it's often something that's been going on for generations. So just, just that it's hard to have a conversation that can really step outside of it and really be a mirror that's untainted. It's almost impossible without some external help. And that's, that's not to say it's all bad and, you know, the, the family plays a really important role too. And, and some families are able to have these conversations to some pretty high levels. Um, it's, but it's just, it's harder. And I also want to point out that teachers have some pretty mixed uh, um, motivations too. It's, I want my students to like me. I want them to keep coming back. It's one of the, my ongoing challenges is to learn how to, to be direct and honest while also, while still maintaining a positive relationship. It's, it's challenging to do and as, for me as a teacher as well. Dev, I feel remiss if we didn't talk about what you do when you actually decide you do have a goal and it's a good one for you and it's it's something you want to make happen. Uh, how people actually then achieve that goal and something that I've been talking and write about writing about a lot recently is this website stick s t i c k k dot com. Which I love because it takes goal setting and turns it into a, a public affair. And it's kind of a, a no BS way to, to set a goal and then actually achieve it. It's apparently based on some research by these two Princeton professors who then created the website, uh, psychology professors, I believe. And essentially, you, you give them some sort of measurable goal. You choose a referee, a third-party person. You put down money on the goal and then they encourage you to make a public announcement also. And so that the, the mechanisms I see that they're using in, in their goal setting process is public announcement. So some sort of public accountability beyond just telling, telling yourself you're going to do something uh, money as something, you know, this is more accessible to adults who have credit cards as opposed to teenagers. Um, but actually putting money down on the line to to say that you're going to do something and you will lose that money. It will go somewhere you do not want it to go if you don't do this thing. And then also employing a uh, the referee. So it's like public announcement plus money and a potential to lose money plus some person who you know is, is checking in or, or measuring your progress. And they apparently have like fantastic success with, with this process. Mm. I'm wondering what your reaction to that is or, or if you've used any of these techniques in, in your own work. Well, my immediate reaction is I'm comparing it to the, the motivation techniques that happen at, in junior high. I have a teenage daughter who's 14 now and just finished ninth or eighth grade. And she's, she's mostly been unschooled her whole life, but this, uh, this last semester, she decided she wanted to go to regular school. And she went to eighth grade and she came home and said, says, you know, Papa, you wouldn't believe how they, everyone's always trying to motivate us kids. It's just, it's either bribing us or shaming us. And, <laughs> and so if you get a bad grade, you have to sit at this public table instead of going to recess and work on your homework. And if you get a good grade or you're one of the top ones, you get your name posted on the wall and you get, you know, mentioned at 
award celebrations. And if you really get a lot, then you get some free, you know, you get to win the iPod or you get to have all you can eat ice cream if you got at the top. But if you, if you didn't, then you got to do this punishment. And she said, you know, her um, take is that she felt uh, manipulated. She felt like there's just a bunch of adults trying to coerce her into doing things based on these external awards, rewards, or, or fear of fear of shame. And she didn't. She she wasn't a big fan of that. But then I'm like, well, how's that different than this shtick website? <laughs> um, it seems like you know maybe they use it at middle middle school because it works, and maybe it works on the in the uh, uh, the adult world too. And I'm wondering, you know, does it? How does it feel? My guess is. You know, the people that do these things are probably the ones who are the equivalent of the A students who um, are accustomed to success and feel good about it and, and, and like, the, like being good at, you know, getting positive feedback and being celebrated and, and um, yeah. So that's, that's what I'm thinking about. I don't know what Yeah, yeah, yeah. Any- no, I'll, I'll I'll pick it up from here. And and I definitely at I was an A student myself in school and I I do like the feeling of positive praise after accomplishing something. So those are both uh pressing observations. And um I do think there's a difference though. I I agree that these are these are middle school tactics. And I also agree to a certain extent that that they work in the sense of like they they somehow they they fit with with human nature like the incentives uh system that we're just sort of born with like we don't like shame uh, we do like ice cream uh, so I, I think they do work to a certain extent but i think the big difference between what what your daughter is experiencing in middle school and what i am doing and and what i assume other people are doing with this stick website is that it is choice mm-hmm. and and it's consent and this is something that i am actively like I am, I am looking at myself and my behaviors and saying, man, there's this thing I keep telling, I, I keep dreaming about. I keep thinking about it in the shower. I keep talking to people about it and, and, but I'm not doing it. I am just kicking the can down the road. And so uh, I need, I need something bigger than just my own little voice in my head to, to make this happen. I, I, I've kind of seen the, and I, and I felt the, the long history of, of kind of little jolts of inspiration, but then lack of, of action and, and, and not doing anything. And that doesn't feel good. Like I'm trying to avoid these feelings of, of not doing something that I, I, I know I really want to do. And so I've, I'm sort of like hiring my own uh, boot camp sergeant mm-hmm. here, right? It's like, I am saying, yes, give me the instrin- extrinsic motivation Give me the the taskmaster. Give me the the p- giant potential negative consequence. I want it. Whereas in high in middle school, high school, many other highly structured environments, uh, th- there is no consent. Right? There is no choice about that. It's just you are you are thrown into this into the arena, and, and you are playing by these rules that you had no voice in in, in choosing or creating. And so I I think that's 
you know, I, I think that the principles of that website are, are accurate and that they can be used in either a manipulative way, like, like your daughter's experiencing or a positive beneficial. I'm going to kick my own ass. I'm going to get myself into gear way. Like, like I've experienced. Mm-hmm. I agree. Yeah. I think that is the difference. And I think I, I, I'm putting myself in the mind of, of as much as I can of a number of young people and folks that I've worked with and how would they respond to how we're talking about goals? And um, their response would be, well, you just, you just, you know, if, if your goal is real and you just sit with it and it's, it's right, then it just, it just happens. You don't have to, you don't have to, force it and stand on your head and do all these different things. No, if you really want it and you're sure that it's right, you'll, you, you'll just want to get up in the morning and do it. And, and so why do we need all this external stuff? Um, I'm sure you've heard that too. I have, and, and I have feelings about that approach, but I want to hear yours first. <laughs> My feeling is that I lead my life as a mixture of those two. I, when I look at how I'm, what I'm actually doing in my life right now, for example, I'm, I'm remodeling an entire house within a deadline of moving in in two weeks. I've got 16 young people showing up for the gap next gap year in six weeks. And there's a lot of things that need to happen before then. And, and so I've created these goals for myself. Um, and which have economic and, and public shame consequences. Yeah. If they are not met. Yeah. I haven't gone onto the stick website, but I, I have a, I jump off the cliff and trap myself and say, I'm going to do it and then tell people I'm going to do it and base my life around doing it. So I can't even consider not doing it. It would be, it would be too too dramatic to say, "I'm sorry, all you young people who signed up and sent me money. I'm not going to leave a program after all." Um, you know, we have renters moving into our house in three weeks, so we have to move out, and and that's how I motivate myself as I create those kind of situations where where you just got to deal, <laughs> you got to go, and. Um, and sometimes, sometimes that works well for me. It really motiv- it leads to an exciting life. You know, it's, it's the same as, hey, let's go and um, get out of our van with only a backpack and a sleeping bag and three peanut butter sandwiches. And, and then we have to walk 100 miles to this other place before we see anybody else that's going to pick us up. It's... And you just create an adventure for yourself and you trapped yourself into doing it. The minute you get out of that van, you don't, you know, you got to make it. And, and I tend to lead my life that way, um, which works in that I get a lot of adventures. The downside of it is that I, I would say I'm often, I'm often anxious and stressed in, um, 
because I've trapped myself into doing things that in truth, I really don't want to do. I like the idea of building a house and moving in, but I really didn't want to spend three weeks straight just putting up sheetrock. And that felt kind of tiring and crazy and overwhelming and really wasn't that fun. Um, And so what I've had to learn on top of that is is to have other goals that are about, you know, I don't know how to say it except in the cliche, accepting what is and going with it. And what I'm doing is putting up sheetrock, so don't fight it. You know, just smile and put up t- sheetrock. And, and, and that's, um, that's been a really important part of the equation because I could go through my life saying, oh, my gosh, I got so much to do. I just, I don't know how I'm going to pull it all off. You know, it's just crazy. I'm so overwhelmed. And it, it would be easy to live that kind of life while setting big adventurous goals. And I, I don't want to do that. So I, I have to counterbalance it with the, the Zen be in the moment approach or it doesn't work. What you make me think of with, uh, with the, the traditional goal setting approach is that uh, is people who, who take a uh, kind of unexamined path through their, their career, for example, they just kind of choose the, the thing that seems like is going to make, make them the most money. They major in that in college. They go straight into the career. They kind of don't try to just try to stick with the path that, that is the safest. Um, you can achieve large amounts of traditional success, like money, security, uh, that way. But I feel like you can also just get locked into, I mean, that's like one big goal, right? That's one giant long-term goal, which is uh, stick with this path that I know will, will bring me security. And that, that departing from that goal, you, you were talking about getting locked into the, you know, having to remodel your house in the, in the next six weeks. And I mean, I think lots, lots of people are remodeling the, their houses for 60 years uh, proverbially speaking. And um, so I can see, I can see how goal setting can become this trap and it's, and it's not something, cause when I think of goal setting, I think of something that's, that's adventurous and you're doing new stuff and you're, you're trying out different parts of your, your personality and, and exploiting your strengths and, um, and it's this process of discovery. But I, I think that what you're, what you're helping me to realize is that goals can be, can be shackles also. It can be just a way to kind of choose a direction and put the blinders on and and follow it and kind of ignore all the other signals that are coming at you. Like maybe uh, I'm an electrical engineer because that is what uh, everyone said is going to be good for me. I'm socially validated by it. I'm making a good amount of money, but I am miserable. I am so miserable as an engineer. I am just trying to get through to the end of every single day. Um, But I'm I'm ignoring that because – because this was my goal and, and I, I have to stick with it. And it's, it's giving me the, the longer term goal of security. Um, yeah. And I think when you bring up the word goal, an awful lot of young folks, probably most folks, but young folks especially tend to be more honest about it, see it as an oppressive conversation. As what are you going to trap me into right now? <laughs> What 
you know, you're probably because you're, you know, older something, you're probably going to somehow get me to say something that I want and then you're going to hold me to it and then my life is going to suck. <laughs> that's, that's the reaction. You think that comes from school, from the school experience? Oh, I think it's not only school, but uh, just um, general parenting. General and, parenting. You watch, yeah. you know, I watch my conversations with my own daughter, which I've gotten better at, but, you know, they'll, they'll go something like, she'll be sitting around the house saying, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm bored. And I'll offer suggestions and, you know, they're rarely successful. And, and so, but after a while she'll say, you know, I think, I think I might like tennis. And then I'll be so excited that she's got some goal that she's excited about that. I'll just jump on the bandwagon and be like, Oh, you might like tennis. Ah, huh. Well, I know a tennis teacher and I, I could teach you this and you could do this. And, you know, you start doing all the Googling for them. Yeah. If you wanted to get really good at tennis, you could do this and this. And, and all of a sudden, you know, my daughter's like, uh, uh, actually, <laughs> please, I I please do, father, stop. I don't like tennis after all. <laughs> In fact, you don't like anything. You're not going to get me to say I like anything because I know what's going to happen. And, um, you know, so it's a standard thing when we're making conversation with young people. Uh, you look, watch a grandparent with the kid, you know, what are you going to, what career are you doing? What are your goals? Where are you going to travel? And then, you know, the kids learn these stock answers that impress everybody. Oh, I'm planning to go to Europe next year. Oh, really? Where are you going to go? Well, I'm going to go to, you know, and if you have your stock answer that impresses everybody, you can get out of the conversation, but it's, that's what you associate with goal setting is talk about the future, plan it, manipulate, you know, control the future. And, um, and it's not very much about accepting who we are right now and enjoying the present moment in the way that a lot of people talk about goals. Well, I like your, your description of the, the two mold, two different modes of goal setting, the, the, the committing to something, uh, in the future and sticking to it and using that as a, as a motivating factor, but also the more you said Zen approach of just noticing what is noticing who you are, noticing what, what you're actually doing with your time instead of what you, you think you should be doing, uh, and, and accepting that, mm-hmm. not, not, not doing that a hundred percent of your time and just completely floating through the world aimlessly, but, but having a little bit more compassion for yourself than, than the general society that we live in uh, kind, of, kind of permits or, or allows. Uh, yeah. Celebrating it, celebrating what you're doing right now. All right. Well, last question for you, Dev. Okay. What is your, your biggest goal right now? I'm sorry. I, I just had to throw this in there. <laughs> what is your biggest life goal right now? The biggest life goal right now is to, in this very pressing moment, 
it is to get up and pour myself a glass of lemonade and drink it. (laughs) (laughs) That is governing, governing all my actions at the moment. Well, that sounds 100% honest, Dev. So I think that's, that's a great place to end the conversation. Uh, Thanks for talking with me, Dev. (laughs) Likewise. Thank you. If you enjoyed this ad-free podcast, there are many ways you can support it. You can leave a review on iTunes. You can share it on social media with your friends. You can create a funny meme that involves hopefully a cat uh, or, or kittens related to off-trail learning and then make that go viral on the internet. You can email it to someone who might benefit from it or you can support it directly at offtraillearning.com slash support.